Welcome to For the Bible Tells Me So, a podcast analyzing the principles of God and how to apply those principles that are revealed to us through the Word. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Have you ever heard anyone say that? What does that look like for you? Can you look at your past and see how God is directing that path? Or can you see times when God divinely diverted His plan from yours? What does the Holy Word of God tell us that we can expect from this plan? The message of the modern gospel is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. However, our idea of wonderful and the world's idea may be drastically different. Take a sinner through the pages of the book of Acts and show him the bones of Stephen. Then smile and whisper, wonderful. Listen together to the cat of nine tails as it rips the flesh off the back of the Apostle Paul. Follow together the words suffering through the epistles and see if you can get the world to whisper wonderful with you. Explain to them that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Acts 14.22 Now after such a ride down Honesty Road, they may think the pleasures of sin are a little more attractive than this call to suffer affliction with the people of God. Now Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Has that been very easy for us to do? My family has faced a few monumental challenges recently and it seems like when we face trials, discomfort, persecution, and suffering, that those tend to be the times when we experience the most spiritual growth. However, also during those times, I find myself almost immediately petitioning to God for relief. Now, over the years, I've been taught extensively about not being conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ. And I'm a pretty visual thinker, and I believe many others are also, which is why Jesus Christ taught in parables. So when I think of being transformed, my mind immediately goes to forging. For instance, how a blacksmith forges a blade and tempers the steel. He takes a piece of ore, and he puts it in extreme heat in preparation to apply an immense amount of stress, then quenching it, removing the stress in order for that steel to harden. The process is then repeated numerous times until the steel is perfected in the eye of the blacksmith and is transformed into a useful tool. God does have a wonderful plan for our lives, but it is wonderful because it is a life of righteousness and not necessarily one of happiness. Let's look over in Acts chapter 6. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. 
but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the custom, the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. I want us to look today at one such case where God fulfilled his wonderful plan of righteousness for someone's life without it necessarily being one of happiness. Now, I'm going to summarize much of chapter 7 for the sake of time, but I encourage you to go back and verify what I'm saying to you. And I want us to keep in mind that this was not too long after all of the Jews were laying down palm branches for the Christ. And now the very name of Jesus is forbidden. People are being imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And many of those very same Jews who praised the name of Jesus on Palm Sunday were the same voices that cried, crucify him. So now Stephen is arrested and tried for blasphemy before this council and is given the opportunity to deny the Savior. And what does Stephen do? He starts by walking them back through what we know today as the Old Testament, through the stories of Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David, stories that they know by heart and have been taught since childhood, and he shows them how it all points to the coming Messiah. Then he does something amazing. He shows them through the word that this Messiah who they say they are anxiously awaiting, is Jesus Christ. He delivers the true gospel, and then with boldness, he condemns them for denying and murdering him. Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60. This is how Stephen replied, in the face of death, Satan attacking him. Stephen says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, 
of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I heard our pastor tell someone when we interviewed them for a position one time that our church was a church for healing, that many people would come with brokenness, either spiritually or physically, and that once redeemed, many of them would leave and would go out into the world. I loved that. And I remember that after all these years because he wasn't upset when he said that. He actually said it with gladness. When you really think about it, that is true for all believers. We come seeking the great physician and Jesus Christ himself said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Mark 2, 17. The point I'm getting at is that it seems like those who truly desire Christ go through a lot of suffering. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. God does have a wonderful plan for us. It's a plan that requires servanthood, sacrifice, suffering. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25 say, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He chose it, chose suffering over self-glory. Again, I want to stress that God does have a wonderful plan for you, but it may not be the one that you had in mind. God's wonderful plan for Stephen was to be stoned. His wonderful plan for Peter was to be crucified upside down. His wonderful plan for Paul was to be beheaded. What's his plan for you? It's that if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Luke 9, 23 and 24. So to be called to be a Christian is a call to suffer and die. But to die to self to die to your selfish ambitions, 
to die to your plans and your ways and maybe even to lose your life. But why? Why would God call us to do that? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 say, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Therefore, you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Look to our Lord. What example did he lead by? We could not be redeemed without Christ's suffering. Many people believe that every time someone sins and nothing happens to them, that they somehow got away with it. But what they're doing is storing up wrath for themselves on the day of judgment, and that wrath will be poured out. We just have to decide whether we will let it be poured out on us or if we will let Jesus Christ bear the punishment of our sins by putting our faith, hope, and trust solely in Jesus, by submitting ourselves completely to Him, trusting that He is telling the truth, trusting that He is God, and trusting Him with our eternity by believing that He loves you so much that He would bear that wrath on the cross, and by doing so, He extinguished the wrath that you deserve because of your sin. He satisfied God's justice by being the perfect sacrifice that was required. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that amount of love exists? Do we really believe that it could exist for someone so unworthy as me? Do we believe it enough to let it change us? To let it transform us? So how are we supposed to receive these trials and tribulations that we know are coming? Romans chapter 5 verse 3 says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 say, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you take that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. We are supposed to face these things with joy, because we know that they are for our own good also that God might be glorified through us. Just like steel, God forges us by putting us under extreme heat, the heat of conviction, all in preparation for the immense trials, that stress, discomfort, persecution, and suffering to mold us more and more towards perfection. Then he quenches us and tempers us with moments of relief. So then we will be hardened against those sins. And he does this so that he can repeat the process until we are perfected in the eye of the Creator God to be a useful tool for his kingdom and his glory. So make no mistake, 
God does have a wonderful plan for our lives. Question is, are you willing to trust him with it? I'm Joshua Bryan. Thank you for listening to For the Bible Tells Me So.